the 349th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win! 54 to 53, North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! They're on the way to Worthy! Worthy 5! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys once again today, and I'm sure many of you Tar Heel fans checked out the Rivals a reunited documentary that 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 aired on Wednesday night on the ACC network. We figured we would get on here and talk about the show and give our biggest thoughts and takeaways from that conversation between Roy Williams and Coach K. Also, Carolina learned their schedule, uh, their their opponents for the next basketball season, who they'll play at home, who they'll play on the road, and which teams they'll play both home and away. And we'll talk about that briefly. Won't go too in-depth because it's not the actual schedule of the list of games, but we know who Carolina plays and where they will play them, and we'll talk about that. But we start every edition of the pod, as we always do, the pod thought of the day. And this one comes from Dave Winfield, and his thought is, quote, a winner is one who is not afraid of the challenge, who rebounds from his setbacks, and is flexible enough to make adjustments adjustments to succeed the next time. Carolina's got a lot of winners on 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 this team, led by R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, but Harrison Ingram is a winner. Um, you know, I feel like he's responded very well to the challenges of the season where he hasn't played well offensively. You look at Cormac Ryan. And we've talked all season long, yeah, he's not scoring, but he's still making winning plays and having a winning impact on this roster. And um, it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch because you're used to seeing a group of winners play at Carolina. Hadn't been the case last couple of years. Um, last year's group was definitely not a winning group. Um, and even before the run two years ago, we had our doubts and concerns about that team. And so, um, but I think you look at, this team, and you can identify, they're all individually, they're all they're all individual winning players that have come together to form a great collection of of winners to form what has become the best team in the ACC as we wind down the ACC regular season race. So let's get into it, man. Um, Wednesday night, 
You had the Rivals Reunited documentary that, that dropped on the ACC network. Um, it's about time that the network did something outside of just broadcast uh, basketball games and football games. Um, every time I turn on the SEC network or the Big Ten, there's some sort of documentary or some sort of feature about current or past teams. Has it been the case with the with the ACC? Um, and you wonder why the ACC has the reputation that it has, but they finally were able to get Roy Williams and Coach K to agree to to do a sit down as a part of the uh, you know the North Carolina you know coaches clinic association that they do. Um, it was in Greensboro Coliseum, which I thought was a nice touch. They sat down for an hour to to relive their time as college basketball coaches. Um, both coaching against each other while both were, you know, eight miles apart. Some stories kind of reference back to Roy's time at Kansas and, and some of Coach K's time growing up at Army West Point before landing in Duke. And all in all, I thought it was a fun feature and something that, um, you know, we can't expect them to do annually, but um, I think we would all sign up for more of this content moving forward. Oh, I I would absolutely love to see these guys more often. There's there's no doubt uh, together. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, of course, are going to say, well, why the heck, why the hell would we want to hear from Coach K? But I thought, you know, one of the things that stood out almost immediately was there was a really good chemistry between those two for this type of sit down where one kind of was able to feed off the other. Neither one was trying to talk over the other. Um, so I, I thought I thought it was amazing because it really gave a, a good look into, you know, a, a bunch of different things about them, about their programs, about even the current state of college basketball. I, I mean, I that's what I think was so great about it was they touched on so many different topics. And with everything, they were informative. Um and they were also comical, which I thought was was great. That that was one of the things that stuck out the most to me was just how funny both guys were. And I, I think that was something that you, you really wanted to see. And I, I will say this. I said going in, one of the things that I was concerned about was there would be too many highlights, too many, you know, the not enough of them talking because we've seen some of these types of things before, and that's what it ends up becoming. I thought this was phenomenal. I thought Wes Durham did a great job of asking the right questions, getting out of the way, and letting these guys do their thing and talk back and forth. I I, I really thought this was very very well done by the ACC Network. I mean, I think the thing is as to why I you shouldn't be surprised they have great chemistry together is despite them being rivals. And I think us as fans, we live in a, in a mindset where we want them to hate each other. And in the two hours that they play, they're competing against one another. They're really, really good friends. Um, and I think it's something that does make the rivalry unique. And we'll talk more about the rivalry from this next week when we get ready for the second matchup with Duke. Um, like, yes, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Michigan – their coaches hate each other. Auburn, Alabama, their coaches hate each other. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, their coaches hate each other. And it's it's there's nothing wrong with that. It's what makes those rivalries really special as well. But what, what makes this so unique is they are good friends. 
they they just do it very differently and they go about the things that they do very differently all while being um very you know some some things very similar i thought west durham um was phenomenal i think that's when he's broadcasting at his best um i think he's a, a fine play by play man um i think i think his last name has certainly helped him got where he's gotten to in the broadcasting industry i don't know uh, if, if there was anyone better suited to sit down and interview them, though, um, because Jay Billis isn't going to do it because we haven't had a Coach K, Jay Billis interview and all of their times together and since Coach K joined um, ESPN or, or since Jay Billis joined ESPN. And so they, they got the right guy to do the interview, and I thought it was set up well, executed well, um, and it just made for a fun hour of TV watching in the middle of the week. Um, and I, I think it kind of came at the right time. Maybe you could have done it next week to kind of start your coverage of what's going to be the biggest regular season Duke Carolina game in over a decade. There, there I, w- I will say they will probably play it very often on the ACC network, and they should probably do what they were talking about when they mentioned the rivalry. Roy said it. You play a bunch of games from the past – that's what you do. Play the play that occasionally and sprinkle in all those games of the past as well. I think that'd be perfect. So uh, we are going to play some sound. You actually hear from Coach K um, here in just a bit, and we'll also play some some funny sound because I thought Roy Williams um, and most of this stuff for me I already knew going in. Um, for some Carolina fans, you probably didn't know his relationship with Buddy Baldwin and how important he was to him. You probably didn't know that. There's a reason to his method as to not why or to not calling timeouts. Um, I knew it, but it was still um, fun to to hear him talk about it. The biggest thing that stood out to me from their conversation came at the end, and it was when they were talking about the current landscape of college basketball. and And I thought, you know, and Roy was the first one to to answer it, but he talked about how for 15 years, him. And it was it was spearheaded by Coach K. They were lobbying to be in the in, in, in the rooms where decisions were made around their sport. And the fact that these two guys, at the most at the time, the most powerful voices in college basketball, were being shunned, and um, people who don't live in their world were making decisions about their world is as big a reason why they got pushed into retirement more so than the transfer portal, more so than the NIL, because these guys have voices. These guys have opinions that um, should be heard, should be taken into account, because they they live it. It's, it's, it's their life. And it comes back to the biggest problem that you see now in, in, in current college basketball and college athletics altogether, poor leadership. A lack of leadership at the top, uh, you know, and some of it could be just as minuscule as a rule change um, or something like that. But these guys were were voicing their opinion, wanting their opinion to be heard, and people who thought they knew more about their sport that they did not coach didn't want to hear it. And um, to me, I thought that was pretty had to, had to be frustrating because um, you've you know these coaches have a voice, they have a platform. They, they have the power to use their words for action to be had. And you're seeing it in college football as well, that no one wants to listen to the old guy. 
No one wants to listen to the coach that's been there, done that, the coach that knows more than um, you're ever going to know. And, and I think that was something that, to me, was disappointing because, especially in college basketball, man, your, your coaching legends are usually the face of the sport more so than the players. Because of the one-and-done era, you don't get a chance to see a guys play for three to four years. Mm-hmm. And you have faces and voices like a Coach K, like a Roy Williams – that weren't being heard, and, and you would never think that's possible. But they told you for fifteen plus years that was that's what was happening. Yeah, I mean they saw it coming. I think everybody kind of knew that this was the direction that everything was heading. And I, I think, you know, it's just it's the nature of college athletics. You're right; they don't listen to the people that are trying to do what's best for the kids. They say they're doing what's best for the kids, but they're not. And it's not a knowledge of the sport. It's not that these people feel like they know the sport better than these guys. It's we know what's better for college athletics overall because we think the only thing that matters is money. That that's It is really that simple. That's what drives all of these decisions. And if I had to guess, you're talking about 15 years, uh, for more than 15 years that they didn't get listened to. What What was really starting to ramp up around that time? realignment that's that's more than anything that we've talked about and nil look nil is far from perfect the way they're doing it right now is crazy it's ridiculous it's something that in the past programs got death penalties over um so yeah it's it's definitely not great and it's something that has to get fixed the biggest problem right now in college sports though is conference realignment. And we'll talk about it a little bit when we talk about the schedule, but I think that's that's kind of what you saw these guys talk about because Roy mentioned it. The NIL, the transfer portal, was not the reason that he left. He did not say conference realignment, though. So it really makes you think that's probably the starting point. And, and I mean, look, man, Coach K made a great point. You need a czar of college basketball, whatever. We've said this for all sports. College football needs one, too. College basketball, every sport. It doesn't matter how minuscule the sport. You need people that know these specific sports. And I think those should be the people that help put together the conferences as well because they know what's best for their sport. You want to bring in money. The best way to bring in money is to keep your product entertaining because it's it's hard to say that we will ever stop watching these sports. But I got I'll I'll be honest. The more that I see the conference realignment and think about how crazy things could get, the 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 thought does enter your mind of will I still love it as much if such and such happens. Which in the past, we never questioned that. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, 10 years ago, I never really had that question. This latest round of realignment, I think, has really thrown things through a loop. And then you combine it with everything else that's happening with the transfer, ports, transfer portal NIL. And I think it's just, it, it's got especially, I mean, look, college football, I think for the most part, most people agree with what is happening. I, I think some of the regionality stuff, especially with the Big Ten, is definitely frustrating, but more than anything, college basketball, it feels like they are taking away the things that are special about college basketball because they are so hell-bent on making money based on 
conferences in college football. Yeah, and look, you and I, we have we've gone we've gone rounds on this. Probably go rounds on it in 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 the future. Um, at institutions like North Carolina and Duke, basketball is king. All and it hasn't always been that way. Um, well, we haven't gone round and round. We we know that co- co- basketball is the sport that carries but, you know, both s- of those schools. Since, yes, you know, since the 1960s, and, and look, this, this is a basketball state, and so what it's 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 hard for legendary basketball coaches see their sport be impacted in favor of programs that, um, if we're just being honest, are mediocre and irrelevant at best. And that's that's a hard pill for those guys to swallow because they are the front porch of their university. They are, when you think about the University of North Carolina, you think about the Smith Center. When you think about Duke University, you think about Cameron Indoor Stadium. At like 95% of colleges, yes, you think about their football program. And you think about Saturdays in the fall going to watch those teams play. It's not the case with these two schools. You think about going to watch them play basketball in a historic venue because they win at the play at the highest level. And this is something that, um, you know, I think Bubba Cunningham's legacy will will really depend on what he does with Carolina in the future because, it, it, it you know, it looks more and more inevitable that the ACC will that one day will – will fall like the Roman Empire and what do you do um because I've gone on record and I and I'll stand by it I'm not in favor of seeing basketball suffer to make more football to go six and to make more money to go six and six in football and the problem is is these coaches can't say that outwardly because they're not then they, they would they, they'd be a bad employee but that was that's basically if you read in between the lines that's a lot of their frustration is that I'm the one out here winning at the highest level, winning championships, but we we, we play in a, in a an event that has an annual billion dollar TV contract. But when it comes to making the other money, well, we gotta we gotta sacrifice what I do, what we do best as as, as a university to 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 make more money on a playing surface where we're we're not gonna win as much, and it's frustrating. Um, it's the reality because you know what. It comes back to poor leadership because the ACC could go get a better, could have gotten a better TV contract um, than it gotten when when John Swafford was the commissioner. They didn't fight enough for it because they didn't fight enough for it on the basketball side. The basket more people want to watch ACC basketball than ACC football outside of Clemson and Florida State. Maybe Virginia Tech when they're good. Miami hasn't been good in twenty years, and. When when you have when when you have a a, a conference commissioner that, that failed to realize that and fight for that, you get stuck in a bad TV contract, and you get stuck left behind in the arms race of conference realignment. Um, because if you think back to it, what was the conference that started realignment? It was the ACC, in an effort to make more money on the football side of things. And at the end of the day, it's so ironic how it's going to happen. The ACC is going to be left behind because they were never going to win the arms race in football. They're a basketball conference, and uh, I think if you really read between their messaging, they can't say it outwardly. They were frustrated by the fact that their sport was no longer deemed the most important by the decision makers on their campus. I mean, I, I 
Well, first of all, I would disagree with that. I don't think Bubba Cunningham, Bubba Cunningham should not have football as the most important thing on campus. Basketball is what carries you. That's the biggest part of your brand. I mean, look at all the uniforms that you wear. Uh, they're Jordan Brand uniforms that he, he played at Carolina. He played for Carolina basketball. Like that is the pinnacle of th- that university. The thing is, is that unfortunately, the sports they they forced you to have to put money into football, or else you're going to get left behind. Because the rest of the country, as you mentioned, is so football crazy. And look, I mean, college basketball, like. I, I ultimately, e- even in the ACC, do more people watch ACC basketball than ACC football? Probably not. If you looked into the TV ratings, because college football is on once a week, you typically know they're going to play on the weekends. They're going to play on Saturdays. People are locked in and watching it. And college basketball is also somewhat regional in the fact that I mean, college football. There are people that will watch it throughout the country because it's football. Football has become that popular. Um, that's the thing that sucks. Could that could that have been what they were saying? Yeah, I, I do think that's definitely part of it. I think the fact, and I think this is how probably most coaches in college basketball feel because you're going to fight for your program. They they probably feel like, yeah, this is a sport that's kind of getting left behind. Even though if, if if you look at it, the product is is better than what you get on college football fields. Um, more more of what I think they were saying is that when they started to notice issues in their sport, they were not being heard. They were kind of being passed off as, well, why should we worry about what they think? Well, why should you worry about what they... These are guys that built your sport. These are guys that built your sport into the success that it is, that built the NCAA tournament into a million-dollar in, or, or a billion dollar uh, industry, so I I don't I don't understand how and and that's what is just mind blowing to me is it's not just them either. There are other big time Hall of Fame college basketball coaches that probably towards the end started to say, "Hey, things aren't right here." And when they say something to some of the people uh, you know around the NCAA of saying, "Hey," You know, I'm noticing that such and such is happening. I've been thinking, why don't we sit down and have a conversation about this? That never happens. You never see that. I got to be honest. When do college basketball coaches actually meet? When does college basketball, even even higher ups, when do they meet? We see it with college football. We hear about it. They report about it all the time. When does it happen with college basketball? In the spring. Like, but I don't feel like it's nearly as 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 publicized. It doesn't feel like it happens probably as often as it should. I, I just I, I feel like the fact that you're shutting them out and you 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 brought up a great point. But they may meet in the spring, and usually it's going to be the athletic directors that are going to meet. But the coaches are more important in that sport than. Even than they are even in college football. College football, you're involved, but the thing is, is that a head coach. I mean, they're very certain head coaches are very impactful. But look at how many other guys you have on a staff that have to help you coach all the guys that you have on a football sideline. With college basketball, the head coach is the most revered person 
in that program when for, for the entirety of time that kids are there. So they're going to know better than just about anybody what is going on with their athletes, what is going on with the sport in general. So I think the fact that these were not guys that were ever consulted on, hey, what do you notice about the sport? Where do you think there are areas that we can fix is is frustrating. And, I mean, look, it's, it's really in both major sports at this point that the higher-ups are not going to listen. We'll, we'll learn pretty quickly if that's going to change with football. And hopefully if it does, that means that college basketball will change. If Nick Saban can start having some sort of influence and can be heard on things in college football because he said that he wants that to be the case, then maybe there is some hope that eventually the same thing will happen with college basketball. But if it continues to be the way that it is, and I think that's probably what will happen, then the sport's going to remain the same. Let's transition in and, and have some fun playing some some sound um, that came out of their 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 their, their sit down. And the first one I mentioned, you're going to hear some some Coach K audio on a Carolina podcast, but it was Coach K talking about Coach Smith and how that relationship with the legendary coach changed over the years. He was as good as anyone who's coached any sport. And as a young coach, I'm not going to tell him that. You know, I want to beat him. And I didn't understand his moment. I was in my moment. That's it! The Blue Devils have won it! And we started winning a lot, and we won championships. And I said, oh, now I understand. And actually, I appreciated him more then. And uh, uh, so I'm glad... God gave me the opportunity to know him long enough to appreciate him and to develop that friendship. But I think a lot of that had to do for me was getting to know Dean at, at, at that level. Like with like with Roy Williams, um, Coach K and and Coach Smith grew to be great close friends. Wasn't always that way. Um, you know, Coach K showed up, and he was the one that you know made the infamous double standard claim that Carolina got pre, you know different officials a treatment than any other school in the ACC. And it was funny how after winning back to back national titles in the '90s, that narrative would change the other way. And you know, Coach K wasn't too fond of that narrative, and he he came a long way from yelling "f you" at him on the sidelines to being a guy that, that that revered and understood how important he was. And when he says, you know, in that quote there, I didn't understand it was his moment because I was living mine. Man, that's 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 powerful stuff. And that's a great reflection point. Because when 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 Kay arrived at Duke, I mean heck they couldn't even pronounce his last name correctly, but I mean Coach Smith was the best coach in the country that had not won a national championship. He had established in the post-UCLA world the best program in the sport and was, you know, everyone was just waiting for him to climb the mountain. And he does, in, you know, in 82, and he's on he's on the top of the world. And, like, from that point on, at least, at least here locally, he was the most popular person in the state. Um, like, there, that's why if he ever would have ran for Senate, 
or you know even just something on on, on a minor level of politics, they would have won because people would have voted for him because of the 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 impact he had uh, on this area culturally. Yes, it was around a sport, but you you learned about his values, his beliefs, and he lived those off the basketball court. Um, and you know, so so for Kato to admit that I didn't realize it was his moment. And then realized in the 90s when he surpassed Dean and championships. You go back to back, he has two to one. Of course, Carolina would come back to tie it the next year mm-hmm. when they'd win it in 93. Oh, yeah, now I understand what he's doing and how how freaking hard it is. And I think that's something that as Carolina fans, we, we struggle to appreciate. Um, the level of winning we've experienced since 1957 is not easy. The consistent winning... That that Frank McGuire put us in position to uh, to 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 you know experience doesn't happen everywhere. It happens really Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky. Because even your other blue bloods like Duke before Coach K, they would fluctuate. UCLA in the post John Wooden world has won one national championship, and Indiana is you know barely even relevant. In, in in the landscape of of modern college basketball, and so um, I thought that was from for what we'll play today was something the most powerful thing he said because I think his stuff on the Duke Carolina stuff we'll play that next because it was really really good as well. But um, him talking about Coach Smith um, was emotional. It took me back to the feelings I had when um, they honored him and Cameron in the first game of the rivalry post Coach Smith's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can really remember back to it. That wasn't that wasn't fake. That wasn't Duke just doing something to do something. There was real emotion in that building on both sides uh, because of what Coach Smith meant to Carolina, what he meant to the rivalry with Duke, and what he meant to the sport of college basketball entirely. Well, a lot of people probably don't realize that, yeah, I mean, when he first came into the league, there was the vitriol towards him and everything like that, but... That friendship really did start to develop as they were going along, and part of the reason why they started to become closer was because of the friendships that both guys had with Jim Valvano. Both of those guys were, you know, when when Coach Valvano got sick, they were both there with him and would go and see him multiple times, uh, you know, during, you know, when he was in the hospital for certain periods of time, they, they would stop in. So, yeah, I mean, it's... That's the thing. I think that's what really brought those guys together. And, and yeah, Coach K said it because, yeah, you're right. He eventually became what he was claiming Dean Smith was, was the guy in the league that everybody thought got all the calls, um, the guy that had a presence that others in the league were, you know, especially some of the young, some of the other young coaches were afraid to challenge, and I, I think that was the most interesting part. And yeah, I mean, um, I, I think it just again, it's a great, it, it's you know, a great representation of the fact that the rivalry between the two schools, the fans care more about it than the guys that are on the floor in terms of just the pure hatred. And you know the hating the hating the school, hating the logo, that kind of stuff. Those guys really don't see it that way because the the, the teams and programs are so, or they're they're so connected 
They're basically on the same exact level at this point and have been for a while. Everything is so similar that even when coaches initially come in and they may say, oh, I hate the guy on the other side, you eventually start to realize over the years that, hey, he's just doing the same exact thing that I'm doing. He's dealing with the same type of pressure that I'm dealing with. And I think that was a really revealing moment from Coach K that kind of told you eventually he started realizing that the sides are are, are really that that similar. Let's transition and then play some sound from some Carolina from, 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 from the Carolina side of things, and that's Roy Williams. Um, and like I mentioned, for me, I, I know what Buddy Baldwin means to him. If you've read his book, he details it. He's brought Buddy Baldwin up many a times in, in post-game press conferences, interviews, and the like. And he made he made sure to talk about the importance that his former high school coach had on him and kind of the, the, the bigger-than-life impact that he had on other coaches in the sport. To this day, every time I leave from Chapel Hill and go to uh, Asheville, uh, I go by Drexel. And uh, every time I see that sign that says Drexel, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. Because my first year we went two and 19. They're the only damn people we beat the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked Buddy Baldwin, I said, you think I should stick with this stuff? He said, you're going to be all right. And, uh, you know, Wes, for the longest time, because he would always mention in all these articles that Buddy Baldwin. Right. I said, come on, man, that guy. You're making that guy up. He couldn't be that good. It sounds like a character in some book. He is a character. No. So one time I, one time I asked, I said, "Is this BS or is there a guy named Buddy Baldwin?" He says, "Yeah." And so, uh, anyway, it's been a kind of a. So wait, when did when did Coach K meet Buddy Baldwin? There's got to be. I've a, never met him. You've never met Buddy Baldwin. That's why I thought it was some character. Yeah, like I expect this eight-foot guy to walk in and just do this. He's 83 years old. I still talk to him every week and after every game. <laughs> you know, so, but the funny thing is, and this is really something, Coach Smith thought he was a big baseball player. I got kind of a, a chuckle of, of Coach Smith not believing that Buddy Baldwin was a real person. Um, and then when Coach K even followed up and thought that he didn't think he was real, um, I, I, I kind of just thought that was funny. It also reminds you the power and the influence um, that high school teachers had and can still have today. I had a high school teacher that was a mentor to me uh, when I was in high school and was a big part of helping me get on the path to do the to have the career that I have today. And so, um, you know, there you, you talk about Roy Williams and, you know, he'll always say there is there is no Roy Williams without Dean Smith. There's also no Roy Williams without Buddy Baldwin because he was the guy that. You know, made him believe he could be something that more than what he was was the one that he leaned on for for coaching advice, and um, you know, it, I think it also just goes to show you how down to earth and relatable Roy Williams is. Is was at a point in time where he's a big time college basketball head coach at Kansas and Carolina, the two most premier institutions in the sport. He got home every night and had a phone call with his high school coach about the game. Um, I thought that was just a very neat aspect of it um, because a lot of coaches will get caught up in the moment and get caught up in what 
they've done and, and what they've achieved and not remember that there's someone that helped them get there. And as much as Coach Smith was that person for Roy, for Roy Williams, Buddy Baldwin was equally as important, and you find you found out about that and that comment there. I mean, he may have been even more important. Like if you read the book, I mean, Buddy he he talks about him throughout the book, and he does with with Coach Smith as well. But the reason why Buddy Baldwin may have been even more important to him was remember that that Roy's dad had an issue with alcohol, and Buddy Baldwin basically became like a father figure to him. Because, as you said, he was a guy that believed in him. Roy could go to him for just about anything. And I think that that really shows whenever he talks about him. And he said, he said in, in the special, he doesn't talk to him every day now, but he talks to him at least once a week. Uh, and it just shows you that, that when, when Coach Williams cares about somebody, it is different than the way that some people care. And 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 look, everybody's going to care in a different way. But for Roy, he wants you to to notice that he is is present. He's always going to be there for you the way that you were there for him. And I think you saw that with with both Buddy Baldwin and Coach Smith that I mean, he he basically with both of those guys, I mean, he he credits everything that he's done in his life to both of those guys. He, that's where, you know, when when we would get frustrated with him at times because he was so humble because he, he we, we wanted him to take more credit for some of the things that that happened. But that's just not the way that Roy was. He 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 says that every time he gets a chance that these are the two guys that had the biggest impact on me. And it's always cool to see him talk about him because that's the guy everybody always talks about, Coach Smith. They brought that up so many times about how you know he owes everything to Coach Smith. And for this moment, for him to have a chance to talk about a guy that means just as much, if not just a little bit more to him, I thought was really, really cool. And then, yeah, you had, like I said, you saw it throughout the night, that comedic relief of Coach K not thinking that Buddy Baldwin was real. Uh, and then, you know, Roy saying, yeah, even Dean at one time didn't believe he was actually a real guy, that I, he was just making it up. Uh, that was just so cool, man. The last piece of sound we'll play before we move on and talk about the schedule. Um, we, we we all know the, the philosophy or the lack thereof when it came to calling timeouts under, under Roy Williams, and it's something that I subscribe to. Um, and for the most part, even Hubert Davis, outside of a couple timeouts here and there, he has subscribed to it as well. And Roy Williams talked about how it somewhat became personal with the Carolina fans to not call timeouts. But he also shared a story that I did not know of after the win over Kentucky in the 2017 regional final that sent Carolina back to the Final Four. I mean, yeah. Carolina fans up there, why did you never call a timeout? Okay, so I, I understand that. And then it became a little bit of a challenge. I didn't call timeouts just to piss some people off. <laughs> but... John Calipari, we're playing in 17. We won our last championship. We played them. We have a lead. They made two ridiculous threes in a row to tie the game up. Kenny Meeks gets it out, gets it into Theo. Theo dribbles it down, hits Luke May. Luke May hits a shot. We go to the final four. Calipari, that night when we were leaving the arena, I heard somebody yell, Roy, and I turned around. It was John, and he used a very colorful language to say 
I was trying to call a timeout because I knew you weren't going to call a timeout and we would not get our defense set. But that's the way we practice every day. So my thing on the calling time, yeah, I'll admit at the end, I just did it sometime just to let people talk about it, but never in the game where it was close. Okay? <laughs> but we did that in practice every day. Always knew that he believed if you had, it was like seven seconds or less, um, that you were going to advance the ball up the court and play. Um, and, and so when you, if I remember going back to that game, we watched the game together. Yes. Knew Carolina wasn't going to call a timeout. Didn't want Carolina to call a timeout. And that was even before we know that, uh, that Luke May would hit the shot. But, you know, when he talks about, John Calipari coming up and, 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 and talking about how he was so ticked off that he couldn't get a timeout called because he knew he couldn't set his defense. Um, you know, that's that's why you do that. That's why you – because in a moment like that, especially with the way that shot was made, you know, there was just chaos on the court. And the best thing to do was to just advance it up the, the court as quickly as possible and see what could happen. And Carolina did that because they practiced it every day. Yep. They executed it. Um, and Luke May, you know, made a shot that, that took Carolina back to the Final Four and it wrote his name in Carolina lore um, forever. And so I really liked that you see even that side of John Calipari going up and talking to him after the game. Um, and Calipari is not a guy that that I like. Um, you know, he he's, he fits the mold of coaches that I vehemently hate. But you know, you, you in that moment you can see that there is there's some down to earth honest with, with with him as well. And the fact where he was telling Carolina fans that a bunch of you were in the stands were pissed off I couldn't call timeouts or I didn't call timeouts hilarious. I love that because my dad believes in calling timeouts. Yeah. And so there were a lot of times where Caroline would give him a 14-2 run, and I'm just sitting there like, yeah, make them figure it out. They're the ones that got themselves in the mess. They got to find the way out. Um, and my dad and even little my little brother to this day, call timeout, call timeout, call timeout. No. And I thought it was just hilarious that he just outwardly told you. Yeah, it became personal with you because I wanted to piss you off. Well, I mean, we we how could it not become personal? We saw it firsthand. Whenever we would go on social media after one of those games where there was a big run, where he would choose to advance the ball up the floor instead of calling timeout to try to you know get a, a last-second shot, People would lose their minds on social media. There were people that legitimately wanted him fired because he wouldn't call timeouts. And we would go to the ends of the earth. I mean, I remember there was a time, I believe it was after a Duke game. It was the one where Joel Berry missed the turnaround jump shot at the free throw line. And my dad asked and said, he, he, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing because he should have called time out there. And I told him, do not ever insult Roy Williams again. I will leave this house and never come back if you ever say that again. I may have also thrown in a couple of curse words there as well. Um, but that that was the thing, man. We bought into what Roy Williams would tell us about him not taking timeouts because I think the philosophy is really good, and I think to a certain extent. You'd like to see it at times from Hubert Davis. Now, there haven't been a lot of scenarios where if Hubert Davis has taken a timeout and I've kind of been like, what are you doing? Hubert is is a guy that will let things play out at times, too. Hubert's not a guy, hey, they make they make a 6-0 run. We're calling timeout every single time. Um, 
But Roy was a guy, I mean, I go back to a game earlier this year, like, would Roy have called timeout when it was 15-2 Clemson, or would he just kind of sat there and looked up into the rafters? Which, I mean, the thing is, I thought that was great. Because I thought at, at one point, when you would disgust Roy Williams enough, he couldn't even watch you. So he would just look up into into the top of the dome and just look at all the great players up there and say to himself, Man, I wish those guys were out here tonight. Like I, I just, I thought it was the funniest thing whenever that would happen. Um, but it, it instilled in these guys that look, you have to be tough enough to fight your way back into these types of games. You put yourself in this situation. Now it's time for you to find a way to respond to this. And I mean, yeah, to to hear him say that is hilarious. I also like how he made sure to clarify. He said, "Look." I did not do it in a close game, okay? There was never a time where I did that to spite them and said, hey, I may cost us a game here, but I'm doing it. Um, but, I mean, it's just, yeah, we we knew that for a while about the Tar Heel fan base, that people were always frustrated with that, and especially towards the end of his career when, you know, the, in the last couple of years where the win totals went down, people would always bring that up as a reason why. And to this day, I, I will still defend that mindset that he brought with the timeouts. A lot of fun looking back at Rivals Reunited. It was a great feature, great documentary. It'll be re-airing on the ACC network for uh, the foreseeable future because, well, they lack content over there. So if you didn't check it out on Wednesday... It won't be hard for you to watch. I actually just recorded it, so it's stuck on my DVR. One of the other great moments that you'll have to check out in there is him talking about him becoming a fan, the transition, where he says, he says, I've only crossed the line two times. And then he says, well, actually a third. Um, and I got to be honest, when I, when I listen to what he was saying, is it bad that I thought to myself, I do I do exactly what he's saying as a fan. So yep. I think I think he's being too hard on himself. Like Roy, it's all right, man. We all want to coach him sometimes, you know. We all want to be out there telling him. But uh, I thought I thought that was another part where he shows the the humor and everything like that. Um, and 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 it shows again that you know what we've talked about with Roy at times. He's being a little too hard on himself. I just I thought those th- there were so many moments like that. Well, it goes back to the uh, a Coach Smith quote who says it's harder to be a fan than it is to be a coach. Um, and he because Coach Smith dealt with the same thing when he transitioned to being a fan, and we're seeing it with Coach Williams uh, as he as he's been a fan the last couple of years. Well. We're not done. We got to talk about Carolina's schedule, um, and they got their opponents. We're not going to go fully in depth on it, but we will mention it because uh, it, it, it is a pretty big deal. Um, and so we'll do that. But coming, but first, we got to get you a word from one of our partners. Hey there, Josh here for the Autograph Fandom app. Want to get rewarded for listening to our show? The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom they take every day, like listening to this show. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and much more. You're already listening to our show, but now you can earn points and get rewarded for it. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it today. For free using the referral code HEELTOUGH. Link and code are also in our podcast description. All right, welcome back inside here, Four Corners Podcast. Josh and Anthony hanging out with you. Um, you know, we, we spent some time looking back at the 
Coach K, Roy Williams documentary. But yesterday the ACC announced the opponents for the 2024-2025 season. Uh, we don't have the schedule with the dates. We just know that Carolina's got their 20 games and how, how it's going to be played. So, um, you know, typically you played five teams twice and the other teams you would play them – just uh, once, but with the addition of Cal, SMU, and Stanford, that's now down to um, three teams that you will play twice and everyone else that you will play once. So the teams that Carolina will play twice, as always, uh, Duke and NC State headline that. There was some confusion that Carolina and State weren't going to play twice every single year. That's never not going to happen. Yeah, Duke and State are the ones that will not play twice every year. Um, Carolina and NC State will play twice every single year because there's too much history, too much tradition within the ACC, within that rivalry. The last team that Carolina will play twice is Pittsburgh. Um, And I think on the surface you you like it because Pitt has not – they haven't built off of what they did a year ago. Um, Who knows if Jeff Capel will be back and – you know, you would oh, imagine with, I'd be stunned the way they finished the season. I would think he's back with the way that Carolina beat them this year. You would imagine that you know, beating them uh, more often is in the future. I've said it, and I'll continue to say it. This should be Virginia that Carolina plays twice every single year. Um, there's too much history, too much tradition within that rivalry um, for them to play just once. So the teams that Carolina played twice: Duke, State, and Pitt. The teams that Carolina will play just at home. Are the three new additions to the league, Cal, Stanford, and SMU. So no ACC after dark for us. Additionally, Virginia. Um, So after this year where Carolina played one game, but that game was in Charlottesville, they'll play Virginia just once, but that game will be in Chapel Hill. Miami, Boston College, and Georgia Tech. Pretty favorable home slate for Carolina um, outside of the Duke game with with, with with the ACC opponents next year. Um, the three newcomers that you're adding, uh, SMU's had a quality season in the AAC. This is a step up, though. You would figure that Carolina would beat all three of those. Um, Virginia, you've had a, you've had pretty good luck getting Virginia at home, at least under Hubert Davis. Uh, Miami, Boston College, and Georgia Tech all figure to be teams that you should be able to beat um, next season. The teams that Carolina will play on the road outside of their trips to Duke, Florida, or Duke, NC State, and Pittsburgh, Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. Um, Carolina and Wake Forest has not gone well the last couple times. Wake's ran Carolina out of the gym. Yep. Um, we always know how tough it is to go win at Castle Coliseum. We learned how hard it was to go to the Carrier Dome and win this year. Um, and then, of course, going to Clemson has always been tricky. But I think for the most part, considering how favorable the home slate was, you knew there'd be some tricky road games, and Carolina certainly will have those in the 24-25 season. Yeah, I mean, I saw people that were – that, that were fired up about this schedule, not happy about the fact that Carolina's schedule was as difficult as, as it is on the road. And, I mean, look, you, you brought up, like, Clemson. Clemson's going to probably still be pretty good next year, although I will say they 
They will not have PJ Hall, right? I can't. I, at this point, I, I don't, don't think even, he'll be back. I don't even know. I don't know. With COVID years, it, it, it's it's so tough to figure out. Um, but I mean, yeah, that you would think they are going to lose some pieces from this year's team. So will they be nearly as good as they were? I mean, the, the transfer portal. That's the other thing. You don't know. You could think that. Oh, you know, some of these teams that we have, even the teams that you have at home, you could think, okay, well, those teams are going to be relatively easy wins, but. All they have to do is build a team through a portal, through the portal, and all of a sudden they could become a lot more difficult than when we're sitting here talking about it today. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this is relatively manageable. I like the fact that they don't have to go out west. Although the the good news is is that the two teams that you have to go farthest west for, Stanford and Cal, are both. Let's be honest, they're both terrible. Like those programs, and I, I know that Cal at times they, they've they've sprung up there and and gotten close to the tournament, made a couple of tournaments, Stanford as well. But, I mean, look, as much as we've rooted for Gerard Haas out there, that is a program that is far from being a consistent contender, a team that really far from being a team that can consistently finish over 500. And Cal, I mean, they they are the the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the Pac-12 as of right now. So, um, yeah, SMU is one that you're probably glad you don't have to go on the road for. Although the thing is, in basketball, I don't know how much different it's really going to be. I think a lot of those games will probably still be around 9 o'clock tips. Uh, might be a little bit later if you have to go to the West Coast, but even then, I think they might try to make it 9, 9.30, not forcing these teams to play super late. Um, but yeah, I mean, the road schedule to get Louisville, Notre Dame, um, on the road, I mean, I know I had always a chance Notre Dame could bounce back, but I, I think it might take Micah Shrewsbury a little bit more time. Florida State, I mean, I don't know what Leonard Hamilton's going to end up doing, but regardless if Leonard is there, that team has struggled recently. If they hire a new coach, you're replacing a legend, so that's get that could take some time. Um, and even in Virginia Tech, you know, we saw Virginia Tech sort of take a step back this year. They're going to lose some of those guys that have been there a while, Padula, uh, Hunter Couture, I believe those guys have to be. I mean, those guys, I mean, they were there when the university was founded. So they've got to be gone here at some point. Um, and you would expect it to be at the end of this year. So, yeah, I think it's it, it's relatively favorable. Uh, the thing with, with Pittsburgh uh, being the second uh, home road uh, matchup, I think... They're not gonna. They were not gonna put Virginia there. Like Carolina will have Duke and State. Most teams will have two that they will play every single year, and then the other ones will rotate because they want to have some sort of rotation to the schedule. So even if you know Carolina had established that in the previous system where you had five teams home road each year, I think that probably would have been the one that got dropped because they want to be able to rotate. We've seen it in football uh, where they've done the same thing and dropped certain matchups uh, in conference play so that they can free up, uh, you know, where where they can rotate certain teams in and out. And, um, you know, I I, I think I'm not concerned that NC State will go go off you know we'll, we'll be off of there anytime soon some people were concerned about that because they pointed to duke and state the thing is is that carolina state is that there's much more history there's much more hatred there than duke and state now if you want to be mad about you know just the overall state of the conference and the fact that 
Duke and State are not playing every year, then that's one thing. But yeah, I didn't really understand why people were so concerned that that could be coming Carolina's way as well. Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen. As long as they're in the same conference, they'll play twice every year. Um, you know, just because Jim Phillips isn't that much of an idiot, and he's not going to allow the schedule makers to not allow those two teams to play twice every year because it's good for the conference um, when those two teams meet. Well, there's just a brief look at the schedule. We'll be back, of course, later in the offseason when we get the official schedule and we'll break this whole thing down. Um, and so with that, guys, we are going to get out of here running a little bit long, um, and I'll be back with you guys later today recapping Hubert Davis's um, pre-NC State press conference. So in the meantime, guys, we do encourage you to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com. You can read about the schedule. There's an article up on the site um, about Carolina's opponents for next year. Of course, NC State preview, preview will be live either late this evening or first thing Saturday morning. And then with the combine in action, Anthony has you covered with all the Tar Heels uh, competing and taking place in Indianapolis this week. Simply put, make it easy on you guys. Just go to the Heel Tough blog. Uh, dot com every day. Check the website every single day for the latest Carolina basketball Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. We want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.